of God. And all of the people said, thank God, thank God, and amen. Amen. We're going to get into the word this morning. You're going to need your notebooks. I'm really going to challenge you guys. Listen, guys, you got to get you some notebooks. Some notebooks. You, you, you don't remember. You, research tells you you fade in and out every 13 seconds. You don't even make, you don't even make half of a minute of every minute that we teach. You got to get you some, you, you, you got to treat church and learning about God like school. Because if you don't, your life won't be changed. And it doesn't do any good to come to church and memorize word and jump and shout and your life stay the same. Because you're not called for your life to stay the same. The Bible says we should go from faith to faith to glory to glory. And so you have to participate in your own rescue is what I usually say. But I heard a rabbi say this week, you got to participate in your own redemption. You got to participate in your redemption. There is a part that you play in living in victory. And it's more than just coming to church. It's being actually being a student of the word. So I'm going to tell you a little story. I'm going to talk to you. Um, and we're going to talk about a couple of things, but they're all going to connect together. All right. Okay, let's go. So anyway, I was talking to one of my kids. I'm not going to tell you which one. They came in the room last night and they wanted to talk to me and they wanted to know if they could change the spelling of their name. And so I asked them a question. I said, you're going to think I'm trying to be salty. I'm not trying to be salty. I'm just asking you a question I want you to think about. And I was like, do you think I hear from God? They're like, yes, I think you hear from God. We could tell you and dad hear from God because you have all these things that happen in your life that wouldn't happen for people who don't hear from God. And I said, well, how much time do you spend hearing from God? They kind of paused. And I said, so you want me to consider changing the spelling in your name when you don't hear from God? There was this aha moment. And so said child begins to talk about how we've taught them how to live by the word and how they know these things, right? And I begin to say to said child, but do you know what the Bible says for yourself? I know you know what I told you, but do you know what the Bible says for yourself? Said child pauses, looks to me, is trying to figure out how to navigate reconcile what it is that I'm talking to said child about. And I begin to say to this child, I said one of the biggest concerns for both pastors and parents is can the people you lead live when they're not around you? Because more than you need to be a fan of Edwin and Sean, you need to be a student of the word. You need to be a student of the word for yourself. That is so important. So, said child agrees that we probably shouldn't change the name of said child spelling. Since I did spend a lot of time praying about what said child should be named and how it should be spelled. And I was thinking about how that's how we do God, right? Like, God will be like, you should go this way. And you'll be like, I think I should go this way. And he's like, um, were you here at the beginning when I was laying this thing out? Like, I know you think that you know what you should do. 
and you like are really smart because other people are always telling you how smart you are, but I'm just curious, can you see both the past in totality, the present in totality, and the future in totality simultaneously? Can you do that? Then maybe you ought to just do what it is that I'm telling you to do. But the challenge for a lot of people, including people in this room, is you don't know how to follow God because you are deficient in the word. So, next story. On Friday night, I'm messing around. I'm bored. I put this post out there because I just want to see what's going to happen. I said, for all of you waiting on Boaz, because if you've been in church any length of time, if you've been in church any length of time, somebody has preached a message to you about how you ought to get a Boaz. If you know me, I have always been against the Boaz message. Always. From the beginning when people's like, you need to get your Boaz. I'm like, that's just stupid. It doesn't make sense. So I just was like, let me throw these facts out here about Boaz. Did, number one, did you know that why you calling on Boaz? That Boaz was 80 and Ruth was 40. Did you also know that Boaz died on the wedding night probably because he was 80 and she was 40? And so, so many people, so many people messaged me and said, Nobody ever told me. To every one of them, I said to them, why was it someone else's responsibility to tell you? You got a Bible like everybody else. You got apps on your phone. Listen, I say this all the time. When I started studying the Word, wasn't no apps. You had to have a concordance. Every translated you wanted, you had to have the hard copy of it. Studying the Bible was like going to law school. You had to lay out 17 books to be able to do it. Now from an app, you can go to Blue Letter Bible, type in a word. It'll pull up the word and every place it is. So why did someone else have to tell you the story about Ruth and Boaz? And the challenge for a lot of you, I love you, is you lazy. You're lazy. And because you're lazy, your life doesn't change. Because the truth of it is, is that you can tell me more characters on power than in the Bible. You can tell me the plot and what ought to happen to Tariq and what you think ought to happen to ghosts, but you can't tell me nothing in Proverbs. But last time I checked, neither scandal, nor, pro, nor power, nor queen sugar, nor insecure was going to change your life. Some of you can dissect the McGregor-Mayweather fight for me this morning. You can tell me what happened in the first round. You can tell me what happened in the eighth round. But you can't tell me three scriptures about wealth or about healing or about marriage. Because people do two things. They use church and television as a drug. Church and television. You hate your job. You don't really like your spouse. You don't have no money. So you come home, you watch six hours worth of TV. And you get to feel better about your life because at least you ain't as ratchet as a chick on Insecure. And as least as you ain't a bigger hot mess as Love and Hip Hop, whichever version. 
housewives, whichever version. And God forbid, at least you ain't a basketball wife who really ain't never been a wife. So you get to feel better about yourself while your whole life is sinking because you numb on television, using television to escape the reality of your life instead of using the word to reframe your life. Those of you who, you know, I don't watch that much TV. Those of you who go to church, you ain't much better. You come to church, you go shout it out. You need the praise team. You're going to lift holy hands. You're going to cry unto the Lord. You're going to let us sing about oceans. We're going to step out. You sing it so passionately. Call me to the place. Call me deep out on the water. And literally, you'll go out here and the Lord will tell you to go right instead of going left. And you'll get scared and go left and go home. Church is not a drug. Church is not a fix. Church is a place that you are transformed. It is where you get the, the instructions in the manual. Really here, all we doing every week is calling plays. That's all we doing. We calling plays. We like, this the money play. This the family play. This the health play. This the mental health play. But you got to run the plays. You can have the best coach in the world. They can come up with the best schemes in the world. But if you don't get to your position, you can have the best quarterback in the world. But if you don't run that route, you have the best quarterback in the world. His name is God. The best quarterback. He is so strategic that he is not only the head coach, and the offensive coordinator. He is also the defensive coordinator. And he has anticipated every place that the enemy is going to try to intercept you. And he has created a route that cannot be intercepted. But you can't run it because you ain't read it. You have to train yourself to love the word. At the beginning of this year, when I started working out, I started eating these things called Laura bars in the morning because they said that it was a quick fix in order to get energy and it didn't have a lot of sugar and it had everything good that you needed. in it. The first day I ate it, it sucked. The seventh day I ate it, it sucked. The 14th day I ate it, it still was nasty. But about the 40th day, I started craving them. And now I wake up every morning and think, I need a Laura bar. That's how I need to start my day. Now, I may eat some junk the rest of the day, but I start the day with a Laura bar. Uh, hear me. You may eat some junk the rest of the day, but at least if you ought to start the day with some words. So my point is that it doesn't matter who preaches to you. It doesn't matter who hypes you. It doesn't matter who tells you, get ready, get ready, get ready. It doesn't matter tell who tells you. It's your time of your season. The truth of it is, is that if you don't love the word and you don't apply the word in your life, I don't care who increase, you're going to be in the same situation. I owe you that to tell you that. I watch people, same church, marriage get better, your marriage stay raggedy. Your marriage don't stay raggedy because God can't heal marriages. Your marriage stay raggedy because you won't participate with God. You got to do what 
God says do. But it's hard. Tell your neighbor, say, we know. But hard don't mean you can't do it. In fact, whatever God has called you to do, he's already given you the grace to do it. And really, if it's hard, it's because you're depending on you instead of depending on him. Victory comes at a price. I say this all the time. Listen, truth of it is, people are mad because other people are better than them. The truth of it is, most people who are better than you are better than you because they're more diligent than you. In life, there are a few people who are like freak athletes. Michael Jordan was not a freak athlete. He was not. Michael Jordan made himself a freak athlete because when everybody was chilling, he was still shooting and working. One of the things that's so challenging for me to understand, not the world. The world makes sense to me. Church people don't make sense to me. No, the world makes perfect sense to me. I know why when the world gets sick, they say they're sick. I understand that. I know why when the world don't have any money, they say they don't have any money. That makes perfect sense to me. What I don't understand is why somebody who doesn't have peace don't know every scripture in the Bible about peace. I don't understand why somebody who's sick in their body ain't starting every day taking the word like medicine. I don't understand why somebody who is broke isn't devouring this scripture, trying to get wealth on the inside of them. That's what I don't understand. And I really don't understand why you keep shouting about how it's going to be a better year when you ain't participating in nothing that'll make it better. You have to hear and do. Let's start Romans 12 and 2. I mean, I'm not trying to be funny. Listen, I love y'all. I ain't mad, nothing. I'm just trying to help you. Because I'm telling you that we're coming up on a season. Sister Sandy said years ago, she said they'll be able to tell the difference between us and them. We're coming up on a season where you go, where you go get to see what you know. It says, do not be conformed to this world. I wanted to break it down because I wanted to be clear because at this point, I told you last week, if you don't know but one scripture at this church, you ought to know this scripture. There's probably anybody who gets up and don't use this scripture at some point. This is the anchor scripture because none of the other scriptures even matter if you don't do this scripture. Be transformed. Be conformed. What does the word mean to be conformed? It means to comply with the standard. It means to be similar to. It means to agree with. He says, so don't agree with the world. That's what he said. Now, a lot of y'all, because you've been in church a long time, when we talk about not agreeing with the world, you think about things like fornication, homosexuality, whether you should drink or curse. But it's a whole not lot more in that, in conforming to the world. Here's one of the biggest conformities to the world that most church people make. In the world, the world believes there is shortage. God has said there is not. Do you conform? There's no shortage. Or there is a shortage. He says, don't agree with the world, because if you agree with the world, you go live like the world. And when they have shortage, you go have shortage. He says, all right, 
be not conformed to this world, but, um, and then the other, I want to actually read it out of, Caleb, I don't know if you can pull it up, but it's, what's this Bible? Amplified, if you can pull it up out the Amplified. You got to be a student. Nobody can, you have to cultivate your own love to the word. Guys, hear me. Don't just love us. Don't just like us. We can't save you. We can't deliver you. We can't do nothing but teach you. Please don't be a fan and our life get better and your life stay raggedy. Because at some point you're going to end up offended because my life better and your life staying the same. And then you're going to have to come up with the fact that the reason our life is getting better is because we preachers and somehow hustling you. Instead of owning that the fact that your life been better is because you ain't doing what we doing. Says, do not be conformed to this world fashioned after or adapted to its external superficial customs, but you be transformed, changed by the entire, entire. I like that, entire, because the truth of us is that some of us are renewed in some areas. You got some areas. Tell, you, tell your neighbor, say, but nobody, but nobody is, renewed is renewed in every area. Nobody. If you were, you'd have done transcended like Enoch. You'd have done walked and walked no more. You'd have been gone. You're still here. That means there's something else in your mind that needs to be renewed. There is an area where every one of us are still not like Christ. That's why we need the word. So he says, by the entire renewal of your mind, by its new ideals and new attitudes, so that you may Prove, I love this word. This word it actually is only two places in the Bible. It's only two places in the Bible where God says, prove me. It is Romans 12 and 2 about changing your mind. And Malachi where he says, bring the tithes and prove me. I ain't going to talk about tithe today. But prove for yourselves what is that good and perfect and it acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, a long time ago, people used to teach this incorrectly, and they used to say there was a good will of God, there was an acceptable will of God, and there was a perfect will of God. No, there was actually ands. He says there is a good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Even the thing which is good and acceptable and perfect in his sight for you. He said that's the reason you get in the word. We're talking about expansion, right? We're talking about multiple streams of income. He's not going to have us all do the same thing. He's not going to have us all do the same thing. But if you don't know God for yourself and you don't hear God's voice, then you see the Kathleen starting a T-shirt company. Now you out here trying to start a T-shirt company, upset because ain't nobody buying your T-shirts because they ugly because that wasn't what you was called to do. There, there is a will for each one of us. I was talking to my friend yesterday and I was like, everybody want to be a speaker. Everybody ain't called to speak. Just because you can write don't mean you can speak. Speaking is hard work, especially when you're a preacher. Because what you don't realize is that right now I'm trying to manage my nose, listen to the Holy Ghost, and see if you're still engaged. I got to pay attention to see when the light go on in your eyes. Did you get it or did I need to stay here for a second? Do I need to use another example? Man, this ain't easy. You got to be called to this. You got to be called to that. I took piano lessons for 18 years. 18 can't do that. Can't do it. 
Now, I can still play the three songs I really learned. I can play them hard, too. But I can't do that. Because everybody's not called to the same thing. So if you don't get in the Word and hear God for yourself, you'll be following other people, watching what other so-called experts say you should do, and then upset with somebody else because your life raggedy. You can't be married like me and Strick. We like jokes. Some of y'all too fragile for jokes. So you hear us joking, then you go home and joke, and y'all don't talk for two weeks. You got to know what that good and perfect and acceptable will of God is for your life. And you find that out by spending time with God. It is the blood-bought right of every believer to hear God speak. The most valuable thing you have outside of salvation is your ability to hear God speak. That is why we're always saying, what is God saying? What is God saying? That's why when people are like, I think we're going to get married. Did God tell you to marry them? I think I need to move. Did God tell you to move? I want to move. I know. But did God tell you to move? Oh, I know, because then what you do is you deep, because you study your Bible just a little bit, because most people study their Bible just enough to beat up on other people and to justify what they want to do. So then what people do is they go over here to Psalm 37, Because Psalm 37 is the very favorite scripture of people who want to do what they want to do. Let's pull it up. Psalm 37. We're going to start at verse 1 because you pull verse 4 because verse 4 allows you to do what you want to do. I want to help y'all. I want to set you free. And I, I, I want you to look at me. Look up from your Bibles and look at me. Walking with God will never mean you get to do everything you want to do. Never, never. It will never mean what did you do. Every Sunday I come up here, I want to live in San Diego. How long I've been telling y'all I want to live in San Diego? Every week I'm like, Lord, you sure you don't want a church in San Diego? He'd be like, not yet. You live in Northwest Arkansas. Do you know how many job opportunities that we have had that we even would have doubled our salary to leave here? But the Lord said, you stay right here. That's the problem with not being mature. You still think that you should get everything you want in the kingdom. That's not how it works. And that is really why I struggle with the grace message. Because the gra- I, I get the grace message, but I struggle with the grace message because I know that most of y'all interpret that to mean you can do whatever the heck you want to do and the Lord just go forgive you. It doesn't mean we shouldn't teach it. It means you should grow up and hear it with the right ears. So he says, let's start with verse 1. It says, fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thy envious of workers, uh, 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 envious against the workers of iniquity. Based on, no, no, go back, go back, thank you. Based on verse 1, that means any conversation you will ever want to have about a hater, the Bible done told you not to have. That, that, the, any conversation, shake your haters off, all you haters on me. The Bible told you, don't worry about your haters. If you ain't worried about them, you ain't got to talk about them. Neither be thou envious 
against the workers of iniquity. You know what this one is. This one says, here I am out here living right. I ain't even having sex. And they having sex and getting married. Be not envious of workers of iniquity. Verse 2, this is how some of you comfort yourself when life going bad. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass. So you see somebody you think ratchet living good, you looking at their profile time, but they going to be cut down like the grass. That ain't going to last. That ain't going to last. That ain't going to last. Here's the problem with your presumption. Just because I don't look like you don't think I should look don't mean God's hand ain't on me. So while you prophesying my defeat, God is setting me up for promotion. While you judging whether you think somebody deserve a husband, a promotion, a raise, or whatever they get, the problem is, is that you don't know what God called me to. So you're trying to make a judge. You know what? I'm not trying to be funny, but this is the most interesting thing to me. Most of the people who prophesied me and Strick was going to get divorced are divorced. Because you had a judgment about whether we deserve to be together or not and whether we was going to make it or not. While you was judging us, you should have been making sure who you was married to was who God told you to be married to. Because we was raggedy, but we had a word. Let me parenthetically insert that there are some times you're going to be walking with God and it's going to look real raggedy, but if you got a word, you'll come out on the other side of it. It looked real raggedy now. That's why we say don't judge me by what you see today. God always work inside before we work outside. The world always trying to make it pretty outside before we fix the inside. He said, don't be like the world. All right, let's keep going. Let's go to Joshua. Oh, no, 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 wait. No, no, verse 3. Hold on, wait, hold on. Hold on. I Trust in the Lord and do good. And thou shalt dwell in the land and verily. Now, if you ain't been to church a lot, you don't really understand what this means. But if you don't spend a lot of time in a charismatic church, a black church, a Pentecostal church, you understand the words like verily. We, they shouting words right there. Trust in the Lord and do good and verily. See, you don't understand. Then you don't, you don't shout all over church over verily. Don't even know verily just mean truly. Next verse. Oh, this right here. This right here. See, I'm going to date him because the Lord told me if I delight myself in the Lord. And I've been coming to church and I've been being faithful and I've been tithing, Lord. Yes, I've been tithing. I fasted in July. And so the Lord go give me the desire of my heart and I desire him. I desire to move. I desire to do this so the Lord is going to give it to me. And because, you, because you're that immature, the devil sets up opportunities to take you out of destiny. Because you are that immature. The Bible says that Satan appears as an angel of light. Which means that a lot of times when the devil presents to you, he is presenting to you off of the desires in your flesh. Anytime you ever been caught up, you've been caught up by your type. Your type catch you up. Whether it's your type of car, your type of money, your type of man, or your type of woman, you get drawn away by what's in you. 
Ain't nobody never got caught up with something that they didn't want. Something that you wanted. Now, you may lie, lie, lie to yourself. I'm going to give you an example because I typically pick on the women. A man will get hooked up with a big girl, but publicly he act like he don't like big girls. He do. He love them. He can't help but love big girls. His grandmama a big girl. His mama a big girl. All his aunties a big girl. He just want to be with a big girl in secret. And then what happened, he get a big girl pregnant. People be trying to be confused by that. But in his heart, he really love big girls. All right, I'm sorry. Delight thyself. Delight thyself. No, because I want to give you examples that you can understand. I'm just trying to give you examples that you can understand so that when you see them take place, people get drawn away by what's in you. The Bible says the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, the desire for money. People don't tithe because of your desire for money. Not church people. Like you, you love God, but you don't tithe. Man, come on. You love money. I don't love money. Yes, you do. All right, okay, delight thyself in the Lord. See, here's the problem with not being a student of the word. If you were a student of the word, you would know that this is actually a Hebrew word, which means to become pliable to. Ha, so now, he says, become pliable also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. What it really means is that if you bow to the Lord, he will put the right desires in your heart, and then what you desire will be what he wanted you to have. Like that Lara bar. You keep eating it till you start wanting it. You cannot like coffee. You can keep drinking it and start becoming pliable to it and start designing. Most people who start drinking, you didn't like it when you first drank it. But you kept drinking it and you became pliable to it. Well, if you can do it in the negative, you can do it in the positive. You can put the word in your heart until you become pliable to God and obedience. The Bible says you have to train yourself to obey God. God ain't going to make you obey him. You already know that. Everybody in this room over five know God ain't going to make you obey him. You done done a bunch of stuff God told you not to do. He ain't never come in in some room where you was with somebody that wasn't your spouse. Stood the room on stand, made the bed stand up, shook everything to get you to leave. He just be telling you the whole time that you putting on that matching bra and panties. Don't do that. Don't do that. You be shaving your legs. He like, don't do that. That ain't going to end well for you. I bind the devil. No, bind your flesh. Bind your flesh. All right. So, this whole thing of delighting yourself in the Lord isn't about you performing some duties to then got God, to get God to give you what you really want. It is about submitting yourself to the Lord and allowing the Lord to work out in you what needs to be worked out. Oftentimes, what you initially want, God actually wants you to have. He just knows you're not ready for it now. He knows that if you were the CEO now, everybody would quit on you. You don't know how to treat people. They just quit. They just walk out. They just sabotage your business. You know because you've helped sabotage some things because you didn't like the people that you was working for. Joshua 1. Tell your neighbor, so you got to love the word. You got to love obedience. 
No, say that again. You got to love obedience. The Bible says, the Bible says that you drive foolishness out of a child. That's not child under 18. You got to drive foolishness out yourself. A lot of people don't understand this, but even the discipline of coming to church every week is a way to drive foolishness out of you. It is an issue of disciplining yourself. You in town, you get up, you come to church. Well, I got stuff to do. Everybody do. But you get up and you come to church. I'm not talking about when you're traveling. Well, I didn't come because I was tired. Discipline me. You go to work when you're tired. We stay too long at church. You stay at your job long and you stay at church. You stay at movies longer than you stay at church. Because all y'all don't come to church the whole time. You come in shifts. I'm, we out here now. Let's just talk about it. Being late to, being late to church is an issue of integrity. It's an issue of integrity. And it says that you're not a timely person in a position of integrity. And it tells me that you only get to work on time because you got to. No, no, no. But I'm believing God for expansion. I'm pretty sure the Bible says if you faithful over little, you can manage much. You can't get yourself to church on time. Let's, hey, verse 8, let's go, let's go. Let's go. Jo Joshua 1. Because the purpose of the word is to correct you. The word ain't always like, literally, this is how God works. He be like, listen, you are amazing, and I'm going to do great things in you. And then he be like, we got to work on that attitude. Got to work on that lack of character. You know what integrity is? I tell my kids this every day. Integrity is doing the right thing because it's right, even when nobody else is around. Some of you don't even realize that the Holy Spirit is trying to teach you character and integrity in small ways. Here are some small ways the Lord tries to teach us integrity. You go to the store, you buy some, you're going to buy something, you decide not to buy it. That voice tells you to take it back where you got it from. But you just put it where it is. Faithful over small, ruler over much. If you can't be faithful over another man's inventory, what you going to do with your own? I can remember this years ago. I would be in the bathroom. That's why I hate to go to public bathrooms to this day. I would be in the bathroom, and the Lord would be like, wipe off the counter. And I would be like, I don't work here. I don't work here. And this is what he used to say to me. He would say, one day, you're going to have a nice building, and you're going to want the people to take care of it like it is their own. Wipe off the counter. To this day, I can't hardly go in the bathroom, water on the counter. They think I work when I come in. <laughs> because you don't understand that God bases promotion on how you manage little things. I'm not talking about being perfect. I'm talking about being perfect in your heart toward God. Perfect in your heart. Everybody blow it. But is your, in your, 
this is what I say to my kids. Is your goal to do the minimum to get the maximum? Because if your goal is to do the minimum to do the maximum, you ain't in this. You know, let me throw this out. What's the minimum I can do to get my wife to give me some tonight? Not the maximum. What's the minimum I can do? I'm going to send one text. I'm going to rub on the shoulder. I'm wash dishes. Come on, Bishop. <laughs> Dick done told y'all. I'm wash dishes. What's the minimum? Not how do I establish a standard of overflow that she can't wait. Just the minimum. Most people live giving the minimum. What's the minimum I can do at my job? Stay under the radar, not to get impacted. What's the minimum I can do? It's funny, one of my greatest examples of somebody who always goes above and beneath, and I'm going to call her out because I mess with her about all this other stuff, is Kenosha. Anybody who friends with Kenosha knows she spent the whole summer planning school the next year. The whole, like, if you, it's so funny, if you friends with Kenosha, you know that in the month of July, don't ask her to do nothing. Because in the month of July, she go do two things. She go watch Law and Order, and she go plan that school year for the next year. You want to go out with Kenosha, you don't ask her out to August. It is so, like, literally, it's July. And other teachers aren't thinking about school. And she's rereading the book, trying to think of a better way to get the kids the information. Now, everybody wants their kids to have teachers like that, but are you like that? Are you like that? Everybody wants somebody to go above and beyond for them, but who are you? Who do you go above and beyond for? What, what, what's your sacrifice? Like, like, sacrifice is a dirty word in this culture. What's your sacrifice? To have a good relationship. What's your sacrifice to bring your tithes and offerings? What's your sacrifice to be a part of the body of Christ? Maybe your sacrifice is just being on time so the praise team who spent all that time practicing ain't got to watch you walk in on their third song. <laughs> and the praise team say, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's keep going. Maybe I could just be on time because even if I don't necessarily like it, I honor the fact that my covenant brothers and sisters are working hard to make praise and worship excellent, and I'm not going to dishonor them by being late, even if I don't like music. It's called sacrifice. You know, like when I take your calls when I really didn't want to. Because I love you enough that you got something going on that's more important than the date I was about to have. So I take a few minutes to help you so that you can enjoy your evening like I'm going to enjoy my evening. It's called sacrifice. In relationships, sacrifice cannot be one-sided. Here's a rule I live by. It's changed my whole life. Changed my whole life. I live by this right here. There is nothing that God is ever going to ask me to do 
that's as difficult as the cross. Nothing. There is nothing that God will ever ask me to do that's as difficult as the cross. Forgiveness, not as difficult. Keep my mouth closed, not as difficult. Not spending money I'm not supposed to spend. Nothing as is difficult as the cross. He took care of the most difficult part and then graced me to do the rest. All you got to do is put, you, I mean, this Jesus you love. All you got to do is put it in perspective. Oh, Jesus, I love you so much. Then where's your sacrifice? I mean, that's what we say when people are dating. He loves you so much. Where's his sacrifice? You love God so much. Where is your sacrifice? I know, don't, nobody shout when you talk like this. But this is, this is right. So let's do this. It says, Genesis, I mean, Joshua 1, it says, This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou may observe to do. All, according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous and you shall have good success. So look at what he says. He says, here's what you got to do. He says, this word should not depart out of your mouth. Listen, guys, don't get weird. That don't mean every time somebody talking to you that you quoting scripture. It means that every time you talking, you filtering scripture. Every time, it don't mean that every time you're talking, you quoting scripture. It means that every time you're talking, you're filtering scripture. So I'm about to make this negative confession over my situation. And then I hear God say, guard your mouth. So then if I can't agree with God, I shut up. Like, here is really just a great rule of discipline. If you can't agree with God, hush. Hush your mouth. If you cannot agree with God, you hush. You discipline yourself to shut your mouth. You don't speak curses over your family, over your spouse, over your kids, over your job, because you don't know how to shut your mouth. You say what God says. He says, if you meditate in the word, meditate is not memorize. You can memorize words and not have any understanding of them. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. The people who wrote it didn't even believe in equality. The fact that you can say something doesn't mean that you have meditated on it and it's become you. Meditate is the picture of a cow. Anybody knows anything about a cow? Knows a cow, it chews up food, it goes into one stomach, it spits it up, it goes into the next stomach, it spits it up, it keeps chewing until it gets all of the nutrients out of it. You being able to quote a scripture don't mean you took any nutrients out of it. Because if the Bible says love is patient, but you impatient, you ain't taking no nutrients. If the Bible says be faithful and you're not faithful, you're not taking any nutrients. You may be quoting, but you, you got, we, we got tattoos on our body. But can you walk it out? Christianity really is a lifestyle of discipline. 
It doesn't mean that God don't forgive you and God throw you away. Those are two separate issues. I am talking about it is just a commitment to discipline, to do what the Lord would have you to do even when it's difficult, to do what the Lord would have you to do even if it don't seem like anybody else doing it. It says, he says, if you do this, you meditate on the word for the purpose of hearing. Believers ought to listen to the word for one word, for one reason, instruction to act. I'm listening to the word for instruction to act. That even as you're sitting here today, you're hearing the Lord say, when she's talking about obedient, I need you to be more obedient in your response to your boss. You may not be saying anything in your mouth, but your heart is disrespectful. I need you to clean that up. You hate when your kid is disrespectful, even if it ain't verbal. You be wanting to snatch a knot out your kids. Into, out of, kill them, bring them back to life, kill them again, waterboard them, all kind of stuff. But how disobedient and disrespectful are you? He says, if you do it for the purpose of hearing and doing, you are going to do three things. You are going to make your way prosperous so you make your way prosperous. I make my way prosperous. You are going to deal wisely. And three, you are going to have good success. I love that he says good success because it lets you know that all success is good. He says, if you put the word first, here's what's going to happen. You will make your way prosperous. You will deal wisely and you will have good success. That's what you will do when you put the word first, which is why it does no good to be frustrated at somebody else who got success that you don't have. Because you don't know how they got it. We meditate on the word to hear and do. Right? Hearing and doing is going to cause us to make our way prosperous. So if we hear words about good marriage and then you don't go home and implement them, everybody else's marriage who implemented go get better. Your marriage go stay the same. Then the devil go say, maybe you missed God. And then you'll say, maybe I did miss God. But you didn't actually do the work. Here's what most people do in their marriage. It's, true. It's, it's like clockwork. Most people do in their marriage, when your marriage get in a crisis, you go see somebody. Your mama, your grandmama, your pastor, a counselor, you go see somebody. And you see them just long enough to get out of crisis, not to change. And then the next time pressure comes, you do the exact same thing you did before because now that you were out of, see, when people are in crisis, girl, they, they will pay that $50 for, to see a counselor. But when that crisis is over, that ain't in the budget. You don't realize that just because you're, most people in marriage never actually resolve their issues. You just manage around them. Until you get enough pressure, and that's the reason people argue about the same thing for 15 years. How you still having this discussion? You didn't do the work. That's how you're still here. You didn't do the work. You didn't get to the root cause. You didn't do the work. Most married people are not working on their marriage. Let me give you some examples. 
Married people work on their marriage by having crucial conversations when they're not in crisis. What can I do to be a better spouse? Girl, I'm not going to ask him that. <laughs> Are you okay with how I talk to you? What do you think about my tone? Now, we want to go and tell other people how to talk to us. But most of us don't, most parents don't ask their kids, is there anything that I do that damages our relationship? I'm the parent. Don't mean you always right. You know that because your mama wasn't always right. Do I do anything to damage our relationship? Is there some work that I could do? How could I help our relationship? Most people don't even ask their friends, what do you need out of a friendship? When I meet somebody and I think we're going to be friends, one of my first questions is, what do you need? Because I need to know what you need. Because if you need different stuff than I need, then I need to tell you that this is not going to work. Like I met a girl one time, and she was like, I like to talk to my friends every day. We're not going to work. We're not going to work. I only talk to my family every day because they live in the house with me. If they ain't living in the house with me, I wouldn't talk to them every day. Now, I may text you, but if I text you, don't call me. Because I typically text you in a place where I don't want to talk. So if you need to talk every day, I'm not the friend that you've been believing God for. Since go somewhere else. I need to know, do you need gifts? I need to know, do you need cars? Most people don't do any work in relationships to make the relationship work. And so then relationships only work as long as we agree. Most people have no skill set in dealing with working through conflict. Me and the boys were talking about this this morning, or Kayla was talking about this yesterday. He was saying, because you know, most people got two defense mechanisms when they don't want to talk about something. They cry or they get enraged. I mean, okay, or they shut down. Them the three options that people do when they don't really want to talk about something. They cry. They, right, really. We talk about this in our family life. You're crying because I'm asking questions that are uncomfortable for you to answer and you think that your tears go distract me. Please go get you some tissue and blow your nose and come on back so we can keep talking about this. You start yelling. Because most of the time if you start yelling at me, I'm going to say, why are you yelling at me? And now I'm going to focus on you yelling. And I got to be strong enough to be like, hold on. See, I hear you yelling and you seem like you're really upset. I'm not sure why you're yelling. I'm going to give you a second to get yourself together and then come on back here. We go work this out. But the strongest form of manipulation is the people who shut down. It's, just, it's manipulation. You don't even realize that. You're going to dismiss somebody you say you love by refusing to engage. You're going to act out in anger and rage at somebody you say you love to keep from resolving the issue. You're going to cry. You need a hug? Because we still need to talk. You need me to rub your back? Because we still need to talk. He says you got to hear and do so you can make your way prosperous. You believe in God for good relationships. How many books have you read? How many books, have, how many articles have you read about even how to be a good friend? How many articles have you read about, maybe you don't want to read a book. Oh, you listen to a podcast? You listen to anything about how to be a good parent? How to be good at it? Are you just showing up talking about, I'm expecting this to work? Based on what? And this is why you need wisdom. 
Because the next thing he says, you'll deal wisely. Because you'll hear a lot of information. But you got to know what works for each kid, each friend, your spouse. Some of you dealing with your spouse based on a former boyfriend or girlfriend that you didn't resolve issues with. Or some of you are dealing your, on your, with your spouse based on who they used to be, not who they are. So you learn how to deal wisely. Lord, how do you want me to parent this kid? This, if, you, if you mess up in this house, this is what we do. What if the Lord don't want you to do that? Literally, there have been times I've been getting ready to spank one of my kids, and the Lord like, nope, don't spank them. Do this instead. There was a time that I was going to taste something. He's like, nope. Do this instead. Is God your partner in your life, or do you just run to God when you done messed it all up and now you need some help? They don't listen to me. The marriage getting worse. My job situation. Like, where's your where are you seeking your wisdom from? He says, and then you will have good success. Let's look at this scripture, Proverbs fourteen and twelve. The reason you need to have good success. It's in, the, it's in Proverbs twice, Proverbs 14 and 12, Proverbs 14, I mean Proverbs 16 and 25. It says, there is a way that seemeth right. It seems so right. He said, this the way you got to be careful of, because the way that seems wrong, you clear it's wrong. But there are ways that seem right that end in destruction. They seem like a good guy. Did you ask the Lord? She seemed like a good girl. Did you ask the Lord? They seem like they would be a good friend. Did you ask the Lord if they should be your friend? Just because somebody a good person don't mean they're good for you. Everybody who has ended up in a conflict didn't end up in there because one of the people was ratchet. Sometimes two good people who just shouldn't have never been together messed around and got together. There is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. There are some things that seem like it's right to do, and the end of it is destruction. It feels good. It seems logical. It makes sense. But it don't make God sense. Let's go to Matthew 7 and 7. You guys learn anything? So I'm going to end by telling you the story after we go to the scripture. Deuteronomy 29 and 29, you can write it down and go look at it. It says, the secret things belong to the Lord, but the things that have been revealed to us belong to us and our children forever. That's why it's so important to steward the revelation that God gives you. You have to be... you. You have to be a good steward over the wisdom God gives you. You know that there are people in this room right now dealing with generational curses because your parents never sat you down and told you what the generational curses against your family were? So you don't even know what your propensity is until you caught up in it? That's why we say to our boys, we say, look here. You came from hustlers and hoes. And if you get caught up in that, that's a hard thing to work your way out of. I, I can't paint you no favorable picture about who your grandfathers and your uncles and your great-grandfathers were. I gotta let, maybe in later in life they became something different. But when they was 20, 
They were destructive. And I need you to know that the same thing that's in them is in you if you don't keep yourself submitted to the Holy Ghost. Your mama angry? Anger is in you. Whatever you can see in your family line, bossiness, aggression, hold, not talking, not communicating, if you don't acknowledge it, you will, even if, because here's what some of us try to do. We try to step away with it, from it, but we don't equip our children to understand the internal demons they'll be fighting. If you used to have low self-esteem, you owe your kids to tell you that so they know to come and talk to you the very first time they get a thought about low self-esteem. You can't just show up now like I'm every woman and not admit that you used to think you was a raggedy mess. You got to tell them so you know how to help them. If you know that pride is your issue, you got to own that. If you know that anger is your default, you got to own that. You got to say to your kids, well, I see this. Like, here's this thing you need to be careful about. I'm noticing this behavior in you. That's wisdom. You stubborn? And then it'd be so funny because people be mad at their kids because they're stubborn. And like so often as a pastor, I'm like, you stubborn? You mad at your, your kid is you. It's the truth. When my kids get in trouble for having a smart mouth, I am never stunned. Never. Never, ever, ever. When a teacher says to me, my, your kid challenged me over what, I, I'm never, I'm never, I know it. <laughs> I just, I, I'm, I, I don't even talk to them about not challenging. I talk to them about how to challenge. Because it's in them. They, can't, they cannot yeah. help it. They don't mean any disrespect. It's just going to come out of them. Yeah. So you know that about your kids. You teach them how to let it come out. Right. And maybe you don't want to interrupt the class. Maybe you want to wait till the end of the class and say, hey, when you said this, here's what I understand is. They're like, you wrong. <laughs> no, no. You have to know those things. It's not enough to know what's good about you. You have to know the snares where the enemy will catch up your bloodline. Most of us, we, why do you think when you go to the doctor, they ask for your history? They know, they ask for your history because if your mother had breast cancer, they're going to give you mammograms earlier than somebody who doesn't have any breast cancer in their family. If your mama and your grandmama had diabetes, they're going to test you earlier because they know that whatever is in the bloodline has a propensity to show up. If you know molestation running your family, you got to talk to your kids. You got to make sure your kids know nobody is supposed to touch them. You got to be intentional about not taking them into spaces where Uncle Tommy used to telling your kids, stay away from Uncle Tommy. How about we just don't go? Uncle Tommy touch kids. He my uncle. He touch kids. This is real talk because this is the stuff we don't fix. You got racist people in your family. You take your kids to around racist and you go, I'm not racist. And you don't understand why kids race because you take them around racist people. I mean, would you take your kids to your drug dealing cousin house? Some of you would. Don't. You shouldn't. 
some of you would, but you shouldn't. But you shouldn't. But whatever, like, what's, I was reading this study, this real talk. Research says that if you take a black boy to visit someone in prison, that their odds for going to prison triple. So if you go to prison, don't be talking about, can you bring Joe to see me? No. No, I'm going to send you a picture of Joe. Because the research says that if you take a black boy into a prison and they see someone they love, they are three times more likely to go to prison because association is powerful. And what we associate first is typically where we get stuck. What we associate with first is where we get stuck. It's the reason most women, most black women, don't know how to let a man lead them. You ain't seen it. Your first image is not a man taking the lead. It is a woman instructing everybody. And it's not that you don't want to submit and partner. It's that you have no visual of what it looks like. And you watched your mama fix it while your daddy was absent. So if it looked like it's not going to be fixed, you jump in. Not because you're trying to, but because it's what you associate first. That's why the Bible says to transform your thinking. If your mama boss your daddy, you try to boss the men in your life. If one no man there. You boss everything. All right. Matthew, is this making sense? That's why the Bible says transform your thinking. You got to know that. For years, I didn't let Edwin help me. I ain't need no help. I got this. I'll figure it out. Why? That's what I saw growing up. Growing up. In my family, the men came to my grandmama for advice. It never even occurred to me that he could have solutions that I didn't have. I'm not trying to be funny. I'm being serious. It never occurred to me because I didn't see it. I didn't see a man and a woman making decisions in partnership together. And some of you men abdicate that responsibility when you always saying to your kids, go ask your mama. Go ask your mama. Whatever your mama say. When you do that, you're only setting your daughters up to be like, I run this. I intentionally send my kids. They come ask me, I say, go ask your daddy. Whatever your daddy say. Do what your daddy say. Because women are natural nurturers, and if you're not intentional, you will use your nurturing to exclude the other partner out of the relationship, not understanding that that's going to dictate how your daughters deal with their husbands and how your sons deal with their wives. And then that's why men get married and can't make decisions. Because you did everything for them. They 12, you still dressing them. Don't wear that, match that. 
No, this is real generational stuff. I hope you hear this. This real generational stuff by the Holy Spirit. You still dressing them? So I don't know how to do nothing. He your baby, so he don't wash dishes. He don't do nothing. He just come in, eat, sit down, you clean up. Then he get a wife, and she like, why he don't never help? He don't know no better. But your son don't do any chores, but you teach your daughter to do everything. She can wash dishes, she can cook, she can scrub the floor, she know how to clean the windows, take trash out. Your son know how to come in, fix the plate, sit down, watch games, play videos. And then people just duplicate that in their marriage. Listen, this is real talk. I'm trying to tell you why. And this matters because when we get to wealth and expansion, all this stuff shows up. Because money just makes you more who you are. Listen, if you was a drunk on Boone's Farm and you get money, you just go be drunk on top shelf. That's that because you still because everywhere you go, there you are. That's why you gotta deal with what's in you. Am I lazy? See, sometimes you just gotta be like, you gotta be like, don't ask other people. Other people, listen, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna tell you this, and then we'll go do this last thing I want to do. Listen, one of the things you have to be careful of is that somebody going to really resonate with this. Lots of times in school, I would do this work, and it really was C work. I ain't put a lot of time into it. But I got an A on it. And interestingly, sometimes they would be like, and your paper should be just like Rashandra's. And I didn't really work on it. So over time, I learned how to do C work and get an A. The problem is, I was cheating myself. Because when I needed to do A work to get an A, I didn't know how. And so that's why you can't ask other people if you're lazy. Because other people don't know your capacity. Other people don't really know your capacity. You got to ask the Lord if you're lazy. Lord, am I lazy? Yep. Since you ask. Lord, am I selfish? Yep. Lord, am I mean? You know you mean. That's why you have to have a relationship with God. Because just because you got an A don't mean you did A work. I got lots of A's. Honest God truth, the first time I ever worked for an A, I was in law school. I was dumbfounded. I would turn stuff in, they would be like, no, this is a C. What? You need to go back and look again. <laughs> no, ma'am. <laughs> you need to work some more. And some of you are in a place where you're trying to shift in your life, but you've been coasting on C work. And now in order to make this shift that we're making on this learning curve about your money, about your expansion, you got to get used to doing beyond C work because everybody used to clap for your C work. Oh, you're so smart. Oh, honor roll. Oh, gifted and talented. C work, A work. And there's a jump. All right. So Matthew 7 and 7, it says, if you seek, you'll find. God intentionally hides answers to find your heart. 
The Bible says in Deuteronomy, he led them in the wilderness so they would know what was in their heart. God never put you in a situation so he can know what's in your heart. He already know who you are. It's like you go, I can't believe I cussed him. He's like, I can. Because I, I know that cussing in your heart. You deceive. It's like this. Are you celibate because you haven't had opportunity? Or because you're celibate? Because sometimes you just ain't done something. Because you just ain't had opportunity. And that's why people be like, I've been celibate for a year, and then you date a guy for two weeks and you caught up because you weren't really celibate, you just lacked opportunity. That's why you got to know yourself. You got to be like, girl, he fine. I can't go to dinner with him by myself. Y'all come, come on. Everybody, come on. Whole church. Pastor, can y'all come? Pastor. I'm finna FaceTime pastor then. But people who know themselves put those kind of safeguards in their life and they don't get caught up. It's an issue of discipline to protect. It's the same thing you want your kids to do. You don't want your kid to say to you, I know they're going to be doing drugs at the party, but I don't do drugs. You want your kid to say, they're doing drugs, I'm not going, right? Because you understand that even if people think they're strong enough not to do drugs, if you see enough people doing drugs... It was a lot of people who watched the crack epidemic who still got on crack. So, I said all that to say, because I think it's really important that you become a student of the word. I think it's very important that you begin to be a person. If you don't pray but for one thing, you ought to pray for wisdom. God, make me wise. Smart doesn't equal wise. Just because you smart don't mean you wise. It's a lot of smart people who have no wisdom because smart is just about the accumulation of information. Wisdom is what God would do in the situation. So I said all that because I wanted to talk to you guys about really this season that I really believe that we're in and that we really need to change our thinking. And I'm just going to end here. I'm going to read something to you and I'm going to end. Unless anybody has any questions, you get ready to give your offer, whatever. But this is so important. In Ecclesiastes 7 and 12, it says that money and wisdom are a defense. Money and wisdom are a defense. We know that money is a defense. It's a defense against sickness. I told you guys last week that we know that most of the time, when poor people, people of color get sickness and disease, that most of that stuff could have been prevented if they had had health care to go get it prevented. Money's a defense. Money determines whether your kids. I think about this all the time. I'm like, when I'm looking at my friends who are in places where people shoot when their kids go to school, I'll be like, that's the benefit of living in Northwest Arkansas. Like, it's a lot of reasons I don't like Northwest Arkansas, but anytime I see some, a shooting around a school with kids, outside gangs, I'd be like, money got you out. Because money is a defense. And wisdom is a defense. And you go home and you see your little cousins, and your little cousins twerking, but your daughters are doing ballet, Money is a defense. Money is a defense. 
kids who don't take dance lessons watch videos and learn to twerk. Kids who do ballet first be struggling to twerk. Even when they trying. You take your little kids home, other kid be twerking, your kid be like. Because that's how kids in Northwest Arkansas, that's how they dance. They like. Am I lying? But money is a defense to exposure to some of those things, especially if you have wisdom. Because on the other hand, if you don't have wisdom to defend against what money can give you access to, that's why you got to grow them simultaneously. You grow your wisdom at a deeper degree than you grow your money. Because money gives you access, but wisdom protects you. So, here's where I believe we are. I believe that because the Lord loves us, he always prepares us for battle and adversity. And I believe that often we miss the warnings because we really only like to hear the good stuff God has to say. We want to hear this is your season and your time. We want to hear that it's harvest time. But most of us don't even understand that harvest time means you work harder than planting time. If you know anything about agriculture, you work much harder to harvest than you do to plant. Because in harvest time, you got a certain amount of time to get that thing off the vine. But if you think harvest time is just a time of celebration, you'll have a harvest grow up in front of you and you won't even pluck it off the vine. You'll pray for an opportunity and the opportunity will show up and you won't even take it because it looked like work. So, I'm going to walk you through something, because even if you haven't always been with us, what we're saying here is a new, and it has a rhythm to it. In early 2000, Pastor Strick began to teach us that increase was the will of God. He began to teach everybody who'd been here from the beginning, in and out, whatever. You know that in the beginning, he took a lot of time to teach us that wealth was the will of God very intentionally because most people in the south believe that wealth was the root of evil because that's the foolishness that we've heard to justify being broke so he spent a lot of time teaching that in 2005 2006 he began to he got this word that everybody who went to our church ought to make forty thousand dollars may not seem like a lot of money to you now a year later they released a report that said that if you lived in arkansas and you made forty thousand dollars you were above poverty he didn't know that when he said that. The Lord just told him people ought to make $40,000. He began to say this. He began to say, you ought to make your age. If you good, you ought to make double your age. If you really good, you ought to make triple your age. He began to set these benchmarks that don't necessarily seem like they have anything to do with God, but they have everything to do with God. Because the Bible says we're blessed to be a blessing. And if you don't have nothing, you can't bless nobody. You can't give food to somebody when you don't have food. You can't pay somebody light bill when your life's cut off. So he began to teach us these things. Now, the Bible says that the sons of Issachar were wise because they discerned the times. 
if you pay any attention, which is why I'm just going to challenge you. I know that some of y'all like really spiritual and y'all don't like watch the news and read anything other than the Bible. But I want to challenge you to read because the Bible says that everything that happens physical, it reveals something spiritual. They begin to say that there was going to be a market crash. Right? But when they begin to say that it was going to be a market crash, the church was prophesying how it was our best time ever. It was, but not if you spent everything that you got. Right? Then there was a market crash. Market crash, housing bubble pop, people upside down in their house. I told you last week, this stuff all right here, this stuff always affects the middle class much more than anybody else. Rich people kept doing what they was doing, and poor people kept doing what they was doing. Who suffered, who moved was the people in my neighborhood. Because people had gotten bad mortgages, overextended, arms, different rates like that. No point in being mad at those people because the truth of it is, is that this is important because you're going to hear these terms. It was able to happen because of deregulation. When there's no regulation, corporations do what the heck they want to do. And so they took advantage of people. Some of the people got what they deserve, but for the most part, when you go into a doctor, you expect your doctor to know what they're talking about. You don't expect your doctor to go in and be like, where do you think you need surgery? So when you go into a mortgage broker, you expect the mortgage broker, if they tell you this is how much house you can afford, you expect it to be legitimate, not just based on them getting a commission and you not understanding it. And if most people, if you haven't bought houses or had somebody to help you through that process, with our first house, we had a lot of help. So the, the guy who helped us, he had bought a lot of houses. So when they presented us some stuff, he was like, nope, don't do that. Otherwise, we could have made a lot of the same decisions that other people made. So don't judge the people who got caught up, because sometimes you get caught up because you just don't know what you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. And if you didn't get caught up, be really, really thankful. Anyway, so if you've paid any attention, what the experts told us, both experts, okay, experts in the kingdom and experts outside of the kingdom, not necessarily popular voices in the kingdom, but in the kingdom nevertheless. Not necessarily popular voices in the world, but nevertheless voices. They have told us that that bubble wasn't the big bubble. They told us that the recovery that we would see wasn't real. So when we come back and Sertrick starts teaching about getting your credit in order, getting some money saved up. It's not just some random teaching for you now to have more money to go out to dinner. It is because something is coming. Now, we may not all agree, those of us who pray, prophesy, study the market, we may not agree exactly when it's gonna hit, but most people say at the max is six years, right? At the max, some people say it's about two. If you're struggling now at what's supposed to be a high point, what are you going to do if the bottom falls out again? Bigger than it fell out the last time. That's why when we're talking to you, 10%, save 10%, save 10%, give 10%, save 10%. 
That is why the transformation in your mind has to be more future-based than what you think you deserve now. So you get increase, but you don't put the increase back. So then there's an opportunity for you to step into to create another stream of income. And you can't do it because you spent. One of the biggest difference between the mentality of poor people and rich people is that poor people live for today. You got to have it today. You deserve to go to the movies. No, you deserve three months living expenses. If you hold on long enough, the movie go come to Redbox. For a dollar. This is so important because I believe that God is not just FOC, but churches all across the nation who are listening, that God is positioning us for two things. One, to actually be a part of a transfer of wealth that's going to come from work, not people just dumping money in your lap. And two, to be a blessing. This isn't new. It's not new, guys. In the famine, Joseph had seven years to prepare for the famine. God didn't let the famine take them by shock. So when we're talking to you and we're saying, guys, stop spending every dime you have. At a minimum, here's what I'm telling you. At a minimum, if you don't have $1,000 in savings, you don't really have time for no recreational stuff. Your goal ought to be to save $1,000 as fast as you can. I want to parenthetically insert that $1,000 ain't no money. Not isn't any. It ain't no money. So when you're like thinking, should I go to the movies? Should I go to this concert? Should I go on this girl's trip? Look at your savings count. If it don't say at least $1,000, no, you shouldn't. After I know it's tight. I'm, I'm just trying to help you. A thou, after $1,000, it's three to six months living expenses. How do you, why does that matter? If, if you pay off all your credit cards and you lose your job and you don't have no savings, you know what you're about to do? You're going to use your credit cards. So, Cedric is always telling us about knowing our lane and staying in the place that we're called to run in, right? There are some things that he's telling people that if you don't have the very basics of $1,000, you over here trying to understand the market and putting all your money in the market. Hey, first of all, when you don't have no money, the market just stress you out anyway. Because if you watch the market, I actually watch the market every day because I just like to see how it's jumping down. You literally can lose $1,000 in 10 minutes watching it, watching it, watching it, watching it. If that's your savings, you're going to be real stressed out a lot. Your savings ought to be some other place that you can get your hands on. Because, guys, life go happen. You go run. Your kids go grow. You go have a tire. You go have a car problem. Life is going to happen. You can't keep wasting all of your resources on fun. So the big transformational shift is that you begin to see financial security as the fun. Did you hear what I said? Financial security becomes the fun. So I'm going to purpose myself and be like Joseph, and I'm going to really focus on this saving and positioning myself. So you may be thinking, well, Pashon, what if y'all wrong? What, what, what if the expert's wrong, and what if the prophet's wrong, and what if everybody? You still in a better shape? 
So say we wrong and there is no bubble and the market don't crash and the and Dow keep going up and money keep bubbling and all of that stuff. You still in better shape. But what if we right? So I want to give you a formula of where your money needs to be headed at this point. Don't get overwhelmed if it's not where your money is. Hey, guys, go ahead and bring the baskets and just set them here on the floor. You can just set them here on the floor. And they can give their offering. So it's, it's based off 100%. So 10% for tithe. As a believer, the reason you definitely want to tithe when you think there's going to be a recession is because you need Malachi 3 to work on your behalf. You need some rebuking of the devourer. You need the devourer rebuked. 10% giving. That's for all the people. You 10% giving don't mean the church. It means we got 10% to give. That's people in our family who need money. That's the homeless man. That's the Red Cross. 10%. When it's gone, it's gone. Some of you keep getting yourself in bad situations because you're giving away money you can't afford to give. I was reading something about, like, the Bible is a Jewish book. Jewish people believe that it is a sin to give yourself into poverty. They believe that's a sin. Like, why in the world would you ever do that? Because if you in poverty and you give your, and if they're in poverty and you give yourself into poverty, helping them and you both in poverty, where's the help? So 10% tithing, 10% giving, 10% saving. How many percents is that now, math people? 30. 30. 20% investing. Can I submit to this to you about investing? Don't be a sucker. Here's what I mean. If you don't give your money to something, at least take the time to understand it. Some of you get duped because every time it's some get-rich-quick scheme, Iraqi money, whatever it is, you just like, I let. You just, you just anything that comes along because you so want to change your financial situation, but you don't do any work. Some of you join MLMs. I don't have anything against MLMs, but you join MLMs and then won't even go to the train that's supposed to help you sell the stuff. Like you don't even go to, you joined it. You paid your $99 to get in. They got $1,000 worth of training. You don't go to the training. You don't do any of the stuff they say, and then you go, it don't work. You ain't do nothing. So 20% investing. Which means you got how much left? Live off of it. That's the goal to get to there. We've been building on it. 10% saving, 10% sowing. The 10% sowing matters. If you're in the kingdom, it may not matter if you're not in the kingdom, but in the kingdom, we believe it's our responsibility to take care of the house of God. We also believe that God partners with us and takes care of our house when we take care of his house. But you have to begin to discipline yourself to see those things increase. That's why in the beginning, and some of you need to go back and do this again, surgery had us to track every dime we spent. And I talked about how much I hated that. But I also talked about how much money I found that I was wasting because, because it's wasteful. If you ain't put in these pockets, 
Yet, if you don't have savings, but you don't spend $100 eating out, you're out of bounds. And then God will give you a good idea. You need to publish something. You need to print something. And now you want to go fund me for that. No, go fund me for lunch. Put your money back. <laughs> Peanut butter and jelly sandwich for lunch so you can have money for the thing that you're believing for. So 10% tithing, 10% giving, 10% saving, 20% investing, 50% living. You may not be there yet. But if those begin to be your goals, I was watching this thing last night about how they teach Jewish, pe Jewish kids to save their money. They actually give them five jars. They get $10. They put a dollar, a dollar, two dollars, a dollar, five dollars. Some of you may need to do that as a visual. Get you some jars, start taking your money, and seeing it. But change won't change until you change. And it won't change if you don't, but some of it is, guys. Get ready to give your offering. If you need prayer today, um, the Youngs will pray for you and Chandra. So if you need prayer, they'll pray for you. But guys, for real. We're so diligent about this because we know what it's like to watch people sink because they didn't have any preparation for what was coming because they were unaware of what was coming. We know what it's like to get caught up in bad deals because we didn't do the research and somebody said that it was a good idea. We know what it's like to spend our savings trying to keep everybody else afloat. And I'm just saying that if everybody else participates, if we all participate, we may be helping people, but we won't be having to snatch each other up out the current. And that's really what it should be like. When by the time it gets to this, we should be snatching them out the current, showing them the love of God, not having to snatch each other out the current. So does that make sense to you guys? So change really isn't change until you change. And if you get God's vision on money, it'll change how you spend your money. It just will. When you realize God got something better for you, when you realize that God wants you to leave an inheritance for your children's children, it will become more important for you to have life insurance than to go out to dinner. It will become more important for you to make sure that your kids have a college fund than a big Christmas. But you got to shift your thinking. And the work of shifting your thinking is extremely difficult work, which means that some of you got to change the people you hanging with. Yeah. If all your friends still trying to ball out, you need some people who ain't balling right now. And because most of the balling is fake. It's fake. It's credit card. It's credit card balling. They want their money at the end of the month. So we, you got to change your thinking and hang with people who are like-minded people and even people who challenge you because I think this is really interesting. Um, there are a lot of issues that Sertric and I do not sit on the same side of the table on. But what we've learned to do is to go back and forth with each other till we can see the other side of the table. He's gotten me to do some things a different way. I may have gotten him to do some things a different way. So it's not just about people being able to agree and high five it is people being able to challenge you on the position that you have to ask you you if 
if we talking about increase right now and you get ready to take a trip and don't nobody in your crew ask you could you really afford to take that trip your 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 crew file Somebody in the church was telling me that they was buying, coming out the store buying something, and somebody saw them. They sent them back in. They said, "You don't need that. Take that back. Take that back." Because we working on something. Yeah. And and if we go take this trip to Cancun, how much money can we do? How we go do it without depleting our savings? Right. And if we go ball out for Christmas, how we go do it and make sure that we still invest it? Those are the kind of conversations that tribes have. Tribes let people in their business to have real conversation. So we're not talking about it when they evicting your stuff out the house. Yeah. So I 